morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. You know, I think one of the deep questions that we all wrestle with is, how do I change? Uh, despite what some people may tell you, I think most of us have plenty of areas that we want to see change in in our lives. Like maybe, maybe you're too hard on yourself, or maybe you're the type of person that always runs from conflict, or uh, maybe you can't keep commitments, or you can't let go of jealousy, or you've got addictions, or relationship issues. We all have something, maybe a hundred things, that we would like to change. But knowing how to change them isn't always intuitive. So, uh, for example, this morning, uh, we're going to be in a Bible passage where the Apostle Paul gives a lot of specific instructions about how we should live differently. He's going to give us a whole bunch of things that we should stop doing, and a whole bunch of things that we should start doing. But I think lots of times Christians tend to jump right into those verse, those verses, and we read like, in your anger, do not sin, or don't be jealous, or don't steal, or all, all of these different things. But the challenge is, if we don't look at the context, uh, specifically the words before all of those moral instructions, we won't understand how to change. And if you don't know how to change, I actually think it's pretty easy to get almost disillusioned with your Christian faith, because there's all these things that you know that you should be doing, but you're not doing them, and you're not seeing change, and it can be kind of frustrating, and so we've got to know and understand how do we change as believers, and that's why I think this passage is so important today. So everybody grab a Bible. Uh, if you brought your own Bible, we're going to be on Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. Uh, if you're using the Bibles here, which should be uh, under your chair in front of you or on the chair in front of you, uh, we're going to be on page 800. Uh, we are continuing in our Walk Worthy series on the second half of Ephesians, and the Apostle Paul is showing us how we can do that, how we can walk worthy in light of God's uh, remarkable redemption of us. So, uh, page 800, if you find the small number 17 on that page, uh, you'll be in the right spot. Okay, here's what it says. Paul says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Okay, these first three verses of our passage today are they're kind of the psychology of what your mind is like apart from Christ. We actually talked about this a decent amount in our gender and sexuality series. Without God, we're stuck in our sinful nature. That means we're darkened in our understanding. That was verse 18. It means that our hearts are hardened towards holiness and goodness. That was the end of 18. And so someone can come up to you and tell you, hey, here's what is moral, here's what is right. But without Christ in your life, that's just going to sound wrong to you. And then verse 19 tells us that over time, because you don't actually because of your sinful nature, have any sensitivity to goodness and to rightness, you're essentially just going to be stuck almost primarily living for yourself, which the Apostle Paul says tends to look like sensuality, impurity, and greed. And as a result of a whole lot of people living that way, you see in our culture all the time people saying things like, it feels right to me, and so it is right. Or people say, oh, I just need to follow my heart, and that's right. Here's the problem with that sort of thinking. When you think like that, you can't actually change, because you don't think you need to change, right? And so you just get stuck in stagnation, or sometimes it leads even into 
deeper darkness. But that's not how we're supposed to live as followers of our Lord Jesus. Let's keep reading. So we're on verse 20 now. Paul says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so Paul's reminding these Ephesian Christians that they were taught to live differently, according to Christ. They were taught that we can change. And then Paul gives us, essentially, a three-step biblical process for changing. And I want to break that down for you today. So let's start with uh, number one. This is how you change as a Christian. Number one is you put off your old self. Now the old self is a phrase that you can actually see in a bunch of different places uh, in the Bible. And whenever you read that in the Bible, know that the old self is who we used to be before Christ. But it also can be who we are today if we suppress Christ in our lives. The, the old self is it's all your attitudes, uh, emotions, and actions where you're not letting Jesus rule on the throne. And I think if we're real about this and truthful, I think a lot of us have areas where we let Jesus rule, but we also have plenty of other compartments where the old self is still on the throne. And notice here in the text, in step one, the action step is for us. It's not for God. We are the ones who are to put off the old self. So if your friendship group or uh, perhaps just your work environment is leading you away from Christ, Paul's saying you should put it off. If your streaming subscription has you lost in lust or in slothfulness, cancel it. If you can't stop dreaming about buying a bigger house to the point where it's just become like an idol, it's like you're just thinking about it all the time, confess to a friend. Have them block Zillow.com if, if they need you. I can tell by your nervous laughter. That one just really hit. Uh, okay. What is it? I think it's important as we walk through these three steps today, I want you thinking of something specific, practical. What is it in your life that you need to put off if you're even going to start this process of change? Because Paul says, this is the end of verse 22. He says that your old self is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So what that means is those old parts of your life, if you let them hang around, they are just going to crawl and claw themselves back into your heart. It's like that uh, old John Owen quote uh, we share here about once a year because it's just that good. Owen says, always be killing sin or it will be killing you. And so step one is so important to the process of change, but it isn't all there is to change. And unfortunately, I think many Christian movements in history and even around the globe today have gotten this wrong. In fact, if you go back in history, before evangelicalism became sort of the mainstream of Bible-believing Christianity, if you go back to the early part of the 20th century, even into a little bit of the middle part of the 20th century, the mainstream was what we call today a fundamentalism. And fundamentalism uh, was, it's not fun to say apparently, uh, was a lot of things, but primarily it was known for rules like, hey, Christians don't dance, they don't smoke, uh, they don't play face cards, they don't go to movies, don't, don't, in fact, just don't, just don't do anything, okay? And, and the idea was it was an obsession with the putting off all in the name of holiness, now, in hindsight, we call this legalism. 
Okay, because what happened was there was such an obsession with the rules that Christians, in many cases, began to imitate the Pharisees more than they were imitating Christ. And we found that it doesn't actually lead to change. It reminds me, I read an article, I don't know, it was maybe two or three years ago at this point, and it was talking about a guy from this time period, from 1927. It was an actor. His name was H.B. Warner, and he played Jesus in the famous silent film called King of Kings. And the director of that particular movie, King of Kings, was so concerned that any poor behavior by the guy who was playing Jesus was going to bring a lot of negative publicity to the film, right? I mean, I get that. That's going to make sense. It makes sense. And so what they did is they enforced all of these strict regulations to make sure that Warner, the actor, kept up a good Jesus image during the filming and then when the movie was out. And so what happened was they, they drove him to work every day with shades up on the window so no one would see him doing anything even remotely bad. They separated him from the other cast members. He could never uh, go play cards. He couldn't go to ball games. He couldn't even go swimming. They even made him eat every single meal alone, just in case. But what happened was all of these intense regulations, they didn't make him more like Christ. In fact, with all of the pressure, especially without an experience of forgiveness, or a relationship with God, all of that pressure actually drove the actor over the edge and he severely relapsed into his addiction to alcohol. Because step one, the idea of putting off, it's very important to the process as you're gonna see, but it can't be all that you do. And if that's all that you do, you won't see change. In fact, you might even make things worse. Okay, so what does Paul say you are to do next? If you keep the process moving, you're going to see change. This is verse 23. 23, he says, And you were to be made new in the attitude of your mind. So this is step number two. So let's look closely at this phrase. By the way, this is what we do here at Renovation Church. I don't just tell a bunch of inspirational stories and then put up a few random verses. We teach through the Bible. So look at this with your eyes. Who's doing the action step here? Notice this is different from step one, because in step one, you were doing the action step, but here it says, you are to be made new in the attitude of your mind. So here, you're not doing the making new, God is, right? He's renovating, what a beautiful word, he's renovating your mind from the inside out. And the only thing that you actually have to do in step two is to lay yourself down on the operating table so God can get in there every day and be renovating and renewing your mind. And this step, it absolutely works. And one of the reasons that I know it works is because if you think back at, if you study Christian history at all, all the Christians that we so deeply admire, the, the John Wesleys, the Billy Grahams, the Martin Luthers, they all very clearly have this one thing in common, and that is they spent a significant amount of time with the Lord every day. A lot of time on the operating table, letting God renew their mind, and he did. And so if you want to see change in that certain area of your life that you've been thinking about this morning, then to do step two, you've got to be in God's word every day. If it's been a while, or you're just getting started, I'd encourage you to stop by the welcome table on the way out. There are Bible reading plans there. Uh, they're in our app. Right, just get the uh, YouVersion Bible app. It has hundreds of Bible reading plans. Just start in the book of Matthew. Start somewhere. Uh, letting him 
renew your mind means that you prioritize coming to church every week. That's number one. That's a core value of our churches. We put God first. You prioritize going to house groups every week. You're spending time with Christians outside of church. It means that you're doing simple things like just listening to Christian music every day. You're carving out time to pray every day. You just simply can't change unless you're intentional about step two and laying yourself down on that table. Uh, Last year, I read a book uh, by Hawaiian pastor Wayne Cordero, and in his book, uh, he told a story that really stood out to me of when he was a a youth pastor. Uh, He took a bunch of kids on a a camping trip, and they were using this mountain stream uh, for their drinking water and their cooking water until one day, uh, essentially the park ranger ran down into their camp and said, everybody stop, stop. Stop drinking the water. And they're like, wow, what am I supposed to stop drinking the water for? He said, I just discovered a dead deer upstream right near the source of the water, and it's decomposing, so it's contaminating everything else downstream. And similarly, our old ways of life, they will contaminate your thinking, your actions, if you don't let God get in and clean up the source upstream. So let's walk through this now. Let's see if we can get really practical and just walk through the first two steps. Okay, let's say that you're dealing with a bitterness, uh, maybe unforgiveness. Um, somebody's wronged you in your past, and honestly, it's been really hard to just get past and get over, and you, but you want to change. Okay, so let's, let's start with step one, putting off the old self. That means that the next time they come into your mind, and you start thinking, I seriously can't believe that. I just despise them. I just can't believe they ever even did that to me, right? When that, when that starts happening, what you want to do, as the Bible says, is you want to take your thoughts captive, it says, and now you want to put them off. You say, Lord, I have a new identity in you. You said, I, I don't walk this way anymore. And so I just, I'm going to stop letting that train continue down the tracks, and we're just not going to go there, okay? You're putting it off. But you can't just do that, because then what will happen? Then just come back, in a few weeks, it has to, change has to be more substantive than that. And this is where step two comes in. You need to open yourself up to God's renovating brain surgery. Instead of just letting that video play for the 116th time in your mind, now what you're doing is you're opening up God's word every day. Particularly, maybe you even need to focus some on the parts of forgiveness in the scripture. And you start reading that God has forgiven you. Right? Even though every single day you sin against him, his forgiveness of you is still so rich and is so deep that he sent his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins. And what happens as you let God's truth start to penetrate and almost just marinate and soak into your mind, your mind actually literally begins to change. What happens in your mind is you begin to see that there is freedom in forgiveness. And you even want to begin to, ext- you want to begin to extend it to other people. And God in his renovating surgery, he begins to pull out those feelings of hate and those feelings of bitterness. Now, sometimes he does the miraculous things. For a lot of us, it may never fully leave until we go to glory someday. But he does an amazing work when you put yourself on his table. And that's why step two is so important if you're going to fully, deeply understand change and have it happen in your life. Okay, and then Paul gives us step three. That's uh, verse 24 now. In 24, he says, and to put on the new self 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's step number three. So you don't just put off your old ways, you put on uh, the new ways. And you can actually see how this works together as Paul starts listing now all of these moral imperatives and all the examples. So let's, let's actually keep reading. Uh, let's do 25 through 32 here. He says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Okay, what I want you to notice here is how the putting off and putting on works in tandem. So take a look at this chart uh, that we made. What I want you to notice, and these are just examples from that very passage we just read, what I want you to notice is that in each case, the believer isn't just putting off, they're then replacing that gap by putting on. And so you don't just put off falsehood, Paul says we put on truthful speech. We just don't put off unwholesome talk or filthy language or swearing. We put on words that build up. Uh, Timothy Keller explains the deeper concept this way. He says, oh, ask yourself this, when is a thief not a thief? You know, I, I feel like a lot of people would say, well, when they, when they stop stealing. But Keller says, oh, actually, it's deeper than that. A thief who stops stealing is just a thief who's in between jobs. Change Real change has to be deeper than just the avoidance of sin. And I think a lot of times as Christians, our only sort of working definition of change is like, I don't do that anymore. But that, that, that's not deep, real, lasting change. In order for change to come, we have to work all three steps of the process. So let's do this with a real practical example. Okay, let's work through all three. So for example, let's say you're stealing. Now, I know a ton of you just went, well, I don't steal. What about, uh, say, stealing your parents' streaming password? Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> or your neighbor's Wi-Fi, right? Or you watch some show online that actually you don't have the rights to or whatever. It actually happens a lot in this technological age. Let's say you're reading uh, Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments, and you read, do not steal. Okay, or we just read it also in Ephesians. And you feel a conviction. You say, I want to change. Okay, let's work the process. So step one would be, I've got to stop. So let's, okay, let's say you're uh, stealing from uh, Netflix or Disney Plus and, or whatever, right? What would you do? Well, step one, you would put it off. You'd probably call your parents and say, Mom, Dad, uh, we got to talk. Uh, and you say to them, I, I, I just feel a conviction that this isn't right. It's not what God wants me to do. And so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that anymore. You're, you're putting it off. Step two, you want to get intentional about Jesus working on your heart. So you go to the Lord and say, like, why do, why do I have no sensitivity on this? I'm clearly breaking one of the Ten Commandments, but I, it doesn't even bother me. And so, Lord, would you just 
Would you talk to me on this? You let him do the surgery. And then step three, here's where it gets really profound and important. And step three, you, you got to do the new action, right? And so not only would you get your own account, right? But Paul would say, remember when we had the chart up there that there's always the opposite? And what was the opposite of stealing? It was generosity. And so actually what you would probably do if you were going to fulfill the biblical imperatives of change is you would call your parents up and you'd say, you know what, I've been doing this for a while. How about I not only get my new account, how about I pay for your account for the next 12 months? Do you understand how that so deeply would lead to change if you did that? It would. It's so much deeper than I'm not going to do that anymore. And that's what I think is so profound about this biblical process of change. The third step is so important. Uh, One of my favorite pastors of all time, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said it this way. He said, you know how some trees, and I don't know if you have trees like this in your yard, it's obviously like beech trees or certain species of trees, that they they don't lose their leaves even in the dead of winter. And and Lloyd-Jones says, well, what causes them to eventually lose their leaves? He says, it's not because people go around and do all the hard work to pluck them off. No, the leaves are removed by new life. And so the shoot of the new leaf comes out in spring, right? And it literally pushes off the dead leaf to make room for itself. So then in your own life, what is it that has the power to destroy, say, the dead leaf of bitterness or unforgiveness? It's the new leaf of forgiveness, when you actually put on the new self. Uh, self. One of the ways, uh, best ways, for instance, to remove the dead leaf of anxiety, for instance. Well, let's say you got a job interview this week, and you're really nervous about it, right? And you're just constantly anxious about it. You're not going to be able to change your thought and heart patterns by going, stop being anxious, stop, being, stop it. It's not, that's going to make it worse, right? You have to put on the new self, and you put on the new self by speaking out your faith. You're going to say, God, I read in your word, Matthew chapter 6, you have told us, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. I'm trusting you. I know that you're in control. We work the whole process, steps one through three. And as you do that, your desires actually start to change. Uh, Author John Bloom explains it this way. He says, sin is not fundamentally defeated through the power of self-denial, but through the power of a greater desire. Because here's what happens. Here's what happens. When you work all three steps over time, and sometimes it takes, I'll just be real with you, sometimes it takes years. It's not always, sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's not but it's still real and it still works. When you work all three steps of the process, the change that comes from scripture, from God's word, it's not just behavior modification, it's heart transformation. And that's what you really want. You want your heart to change. So much so that as you begin to experience the beautiful fruit of walking with Jesus, the blessing of walking in his ways, what happens is your heart in many instances, will actually begin to desire Jesus more than your old ways. And it's when your desire for Jesus becomes greater than your desire for sin, it's then, and really only then, that you will truly and deeply start to change. Uh, You know, I I was preparing for communion this week, because we're going to take communion together here in just a minute. And one of the things that just stood out to me is another thing I think that just leads to the power to change is when you deeply realize your identity is in him. Like when you realize that Jesus Christ gave up his body for you to die in your place on the cross. 
and he let his blood be spilled for you. And that gives you not only forgiveness, it gives you a new identity that fundamentally gives you power to change. Um, Here's how I always think about it. I think back to like, whatever, 500 years ago in the days of kings and queens. Let's say there is an orphan, thieving teenager who goes around stealing every single day. But the king has mercy on that teenager and he adopts that teen into his royal family and into the castle. Now just think about this. That young thief would, over time, be able to stop stealing in part because of his new identity. He's put off now the old rags that he used to wear when he was a thief, and now he has on the robes of royalty. He doesn't need to steal anymore to impress or to survive or to find acceptance. He has all he needs from his father, the king. And that sense of identity gives him the ability to live in a different way. And so as we take communion together, I want you to deeply understand that truth. You can walk in these new ways that God has been putting on your heart this morning. You can change because you have all you need in your father, the king. All right.